Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Welcome back to Nighttime's coverage of the disappearance of Holly Ellsworth Clark. When we last met, we were joined by Holly's father, Dave Clark, who told us about his daughter and shared the troubling details of Holly's last known days. Tonight, we're going to dig even deeper into the search for Holly Clark. And to do that, we're going to be joined by one of the driving forces of the volunteer team that has been working tirelessly in support of Holly and her family. In a moment, we'll be joined by Elle, who quite simply is a force of nature. She is driven, she's dedicated, focused, and quite simply, she's on a mission. To give some context to her commitment, for the always jovial Elle, her role in the search for Holly may be the reason her own life was saved from a recent medical diagnosis. So, um... June last year, I was uh, diagnosed with stage three cancer. So the doctor had told me, like it was totally super sudden, didn't expect it. Like I was going in for surgery for something else. And um, the physician, I woke up and uh, my husband came in the room and he looked upset and I'm like, what's wrong? My surgery was great. And he's like, no, you have cancer. They stopped the surgery and we're going to the cancer center. So anyways, I got transferred to the cancer center and when we got there the physician that got put in charge of my case said to me uh if you had not had this found now you would have been dead by october um so obviously i made it which is good yeah good. Uh, yeah. but i now like now that i'm coming out of it like i got all of my tests and everything saying that i have no active cancer but i still have a giant clump of it uh that's causing some drama but um the timing for holly could not in a weird fucked up way could not have been better quite frankly uh and if you ask holly's mom she would tell you under no uncertain circumstances that she thinks i survived cancer so i can help find her daughter wow yeah so it's uh interesting so you're on a mission (laughs) Yeah, like I got a goal. I mean, I survived cancer, so now I have to find Holly too. (laughs) As if that's not enough. (laughs) Now, Elle's laughter may have lightened her description of that situation, but don't let that fool you. She is dead serious. So let's get into it. In this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by Elle McPherson, and our topic is the search for Holly Clark. So, Elle, you have a unique position in the search for Holly. Tell me a bit about what you do as a a member of the search team, I guess is the best way to put it. I I think that there's a, a misrepresentation as to how a search happens and how it goes down. And I think if I were to sit here and explain to you all the things that this search party has done I think we would be a lot here a lot longer than your your podcast allows. <laughs> uh, as a whole, I can tell you that we 
kind of stumbled into this. So Holly went missing on the Saturday and then we, myself and, and a couple other people arrived the following week to start to really lay the ground to continue searching a little bit more. It is all consuming and exhaustive. The, the time that you spend, the time that you, you mull over the, the basic things that you normally would not even think twice about is all encompassing. So for me, my role in this, this search is to A, be the face, and B, ensure that all the people that are involved are looked after. So whether that's ground search teams, Dave and Greta, Caleb, Kate, anybody else that's involved, I'm, I'm more of the people person. There's, there's a whole team of people behind me that do a ton of other stuff, but you generally see me because I'm, I ended up drawing the short stick. <laughs> mm. you know, aside from your involvement in, in the search for Holly, tell me a bit about yourself. Like what, what kind of person ends up, you know, in, in this position that you're in, what's your background? I, that's a hard question because my background really doesn't, um, doesn't fit with what you would expect. So I am a business owner. I've got 12 companies and a couple hundred staff. I started and went to university to get a degree. It initially started in psychology and then went over to criminal justice. And then I kind of got poached and, and hmm. ended up elsewhere. But all of that has led to, to being able to put those skills to use in this situation, whether it's sitting and listening or paying attention to micro expressions or navigating all of the people that are involved and their personalities. Uh, it's been quite an interesting side to this. So I, yeah, it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but it's the exact same skill set you need as an entrepreneur to run a search team. Interesting. Now, one thing that's unique about your situation is is your connection with with Holly starts well before her disappearance, and it's you're not a member of her family as as far as I know, but you do have a unique relationship with her. So tell me a bit about your connection to Holly, how how you came to know her. Yeah, so we kind of kept it on the down low for the first little while, just because it it really was not a a necessary thing to have to put out there. But I'm actually Holly's boss. So one of my businesses is that I, I own a condominium management firm here in Calgary, looking after multi-unit buildings. And Holly has worked for me for a few years. Yeah. How, how did you meet her? Did she just uh, like apply for a job or something? Or did you know her family before this? Or were you able to say? No, she, uh, she came to us. So we've got, if you've listened or watched any of the live events that we've done on Facebook, the moderator in the background, her name's Abby. And we met Abby and Holly through each other. So both of them ended up working for us. Uh, both of them are active in the music scene and they, they were just bros, they were friends. So it ended up being a great fit. Holly's got an exceptional personality for that role. Yeah. And you know, when I talked to Dave, Holly's dad, he described how she was she was working kind of remotely when she, for you when she was in Toronto or Hamilton. So I'm guessing that the job was in your relationship was probably a bit more casual than the typical like employee employer kind of relationship. Did you find your relationship with Holly was more like you're her boss or you're her friend or like how how what kind of dynamic did you have? Yeah. It well she still has a job here, so Holly, if you hear this, Come on back. We uh, we have some stuff to do. Uh, we 
we worked in a very different way. Um, if she required the help of an owner, if there was a problem, uh, she absolutely got the owner and all of my wrath that came with it. Uh, in the same breath, we would talk about things like uh, Holly was really struggling with feeling lonely in Hamilton. So we had talked, I, as Dave had mentioned, about her getting another job. So we were in the midst of helping her with a resume so she could get a cafe job so that she could mingle a little bit more, meet more friends opposed to being stuck at home. She did end up finding a co-working space at the Eucharist Church. We found out after that it was a bit of a happy coincidence, but she did a, a bit of work there. They've got a co-working space in the back and she met people there. But it was, it, our relationship really depends on the day and, and what she needed. If she needed to sit and talk, then my my cell was always on and, and ready for a conversation. And speaking to that, just one thing I was curious about, if you can talk on this, is is Dave had, uh, had mentioned that about a year prior to her disappearance, something happened to her in Toronto that was suspected to possibly be like a mental break or maybe a, a sign of maybe an oncoming mental illness uh, possibly. Did you, did you know or, or have any experience with Holly that would, that would have made you concerned for her in that way? Or did she seem like a, you know, a typical stable person? I know you're not a psychiatrist, but. Yeah, no, Hey, it's a, it's a great question. So I think on the surface, nobody would have seen it coming mm-hmm. for us. Holly's quite open with the people that she cares about. So we knew what had happened. We knew how she was feeling, how her, on the outside, I would say nobody would have really seen it coming, but those of us that knew her, knew that something was not quite right. Um, I'd spoken to her frequently over that time frame, and knew that she was having some some issues with some roommates and some some different thought processes that would not normally be Holly. And during her time in Hamilton, did you did you see these same kind of things? Like were, like Dave had mentioned that he when like when she made the phone call to him that morning, he thought but it seemed like he was thinking back to this situation in Toronto. Did you ever have experiences where with her were during her time in in Hamilton where you were concerned? Yeah. So she. Again, just for timeline uh, sake, she disappeared on the 11th at 4.18 in the afternoon. She actually, and this was a Saturday, so she actually called uh, Abby on the Thursday and said that she was feeling off and that she needed a mental health day. For us, this is nothing. Like, if you need the day, you need some time, you go ahead and take all the time that you need. So Abby assisted her in setting up an out-of-office for the Friday, and then she had a a whole bunch of work that had to happen on Monday. So we knew that something wasn't quite right. And then the days leading up to that, even she was a little bit down and a little bit lonely. Again, we had chalked it up to, to a new town and, and all the new feelings that they would come with moving to a town where, you know, absolutely no one except for a boy who broke your heart. So, so for us, we saw, we saw loneliness. We certainly did not expect garbage bags and manhunts yeah, in Hamilton. Yeah. When she did go missing that that Saturday, how did you find out about it? Like, I'm, I'm assuming you would have been one of the first people to find out given that she was your employee at the time. Yeah, we found out first thing Sunday morning. So we were not aware this Saturday night. Sunday morning, I got a text saying Holly's missing. 
so myself and Abby and one of the other staff, we all hopped on a Google Meet and spent the day scouring her devices. So Holly, God love her, she is cheap or frugal or however you want to phrase it. Uh, she's not a big spender by any stretch. So the only devices that she really had in her possession were her work laptop and her work phone. So because she uses all of our work devices, we were able to actually go in and within a couple hours have virtually everything that you could possibly want. We were a, we were a detective's dream that weekend, let me tell you. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that is fortunate because you often hear in a case like this, the struggle a family goes through to, you know, with privacy law and all that to get access to information. But given your connection to her, that's a, a huge bonus. Yeah, we were able to find virtually every email account she had, every search she had done, passwords. She had saved her passwords. And again, Holly's just not technologically inclined <laughs> either. Again, I love Holly. She just is not that girl. She could care less about, about technology and and uh, being worrisome the way the rest of us would. So with again, within minutes, we had bank accounts, cell phones, location tracking, um, every email account, everything she downloaded, everything she recorded, sent, received. We had all of it. So we were very, very fortunate. And now when, when you found out she was missing and given the events like in the days preceding this, how, how did you think this was going to play out? Like when you first got involved, did it, did it seem like it was something where very soon she would turn up or was it like, do you remember the time when you're like, this may actually stretch on, like this is, you know, getting scary? Yeah, so again, being in Calgary, um, when she went missing, the very first thing I wanted to do is get on a plane. And unfortunately I had two surgeries scheduled that week, one on the Tuesday and one on the Friday. So all we could do, or all I could do is be home here in Calgary and do everything that I could within my power to assist the family and the detectives that were on the ground. So for me personally, on the Thursday, the day before, um, a couple days before I ended up getting out there, that's when I realized that there was no way that this was going to be a quick thing. This was Holly. This is convoluted and something that you're going, what, what were you, what are you thinking? What, what's happening here? Because in, in Hamilton, 97% of missing persons come back after the weekend. Mm -hmm. So by Monday, she wasn't home. She wasn't there. There was no communication. There was no information. So for me, it was the Thursday where I went, you know, this is not going to, this is not going to be good. We need to get out there and we need to get out there now. So uh, I was on a flight on the Saturday, the day after. So. Now, just want to get into some of the kind of like leads and tips and odd things that have kind of come up mainly in my conversation with Dave. Well, one thing that I could sense was, I don't know if the right word to use is suspicion or maybe doubt, but he definitely appeared to be uneasy when talking about her roommates and the people she was closely connected to just prior to her disappearance the, while living in, in Hamilton. Um have you had much communication with them and if, have they been supportive to what you're doing at all? That's a tough question to be politically correct with. So, <laughs> hmm. so Holly 
Holly found the space on Kijiji or Craigslist, ended up really connecting with the landlord and enjoying the, the, the feeling that she got in the house. There's a music studio in the basement. It is a rooming house. There's seven, including Holly, that live there. And she really did find that this was the place that she wanted to, to live when she was in Hamilton. Unfortunately for us, when, when Holly went missing as, and as things progressed, again, it comes back to dealing with different people and different personalities. So did we get everything that we wanted from that house and from the roommates and the landlord? Not even close. There's a lot that is left to be desired from that, that home. Uh, and the information that has been garnered from them. We are planning on going back to Hamilton as soon as Corona kind of lifts a little bit. And it is something that we would like to explore a little bit more with, with the roommates and the, the frequent people that spend time there. At this time, I would agree with Dave's hesitation. We have certainly not got everything that we had wanted. Um, a perfect example is that one of the the roommate's girlfriends on a, a Facebook Live in, in one of the live comments said that Holly had taken down cameras in the house. And this was the first that we had heard of this. And this was only a couple weeks ago. To me, that's something you would want to tell the family that that had happened, that the cameras were being taken down or things were being said or done. And and none of that was received until it until social media became more of a presence. So there's, there's definitely a lot more that we would like to, to find out about. Whether we will have that happen or not, that, that will be up to the people in that household. But I would certainly like to, to hope that the doors open for us when we return. Another thing he said that I wanted to ask you about was uh, Dave had mentioned looking through Holly's <laughs> diary and finding out that she you know, maybe wasn't in the best state. Do you know much about her diary? And was it the kind of thing where she was actually keeping track of, you know, her life and her coming and yeah. goings? Are you able to talk at all about the diary and what it was, what it is and what kind of information you would have got from this? Oh, yeah. So Holly is as prolific of a journalist as she is a, a, a writer, a songwriter. So she kept two journals. She kept a written one for when she was kind of doodling and writing lyrics and drawing. And she also kept an online one. So, and again, because of Holly's frugalness, uh, we, we had access to this online document. And when we did end up at her home, we did find this other journal. She would write two times a day, three times a day. And I don't believe that there was really ever an intent for those journals to be read or viewed by anybody but her. Uh, they are incredibly raw and honest and thoughtful. So there's there's a lot in those writings that are personal and definitely not information that the public really needs to know. But there's also a lot in there that that leads to to who Holly is as a person and and that is good information for us one question comes that comes up is was the threat that she felt she faced the night before the the call to her parents if, if it was real or imagined and I, and i just feel like um within those diaries or the journals maybe clues about if she was maybe had some kind of psychosis or something like that was affecting her 
Other than the unusual phone calls she made that day, is there any strong evidence either in the diaries or otherwise that would point to her having a legitimate, you know, mental health crisis happening at that point? So in the journals, you can see a definite change in, in thought process, especially in the last couple of days. Uh, you can see a change in, in her writing and, and how her writing is, is physically on the paper from the pen. And you can tell she's definitely struggling with a few questions about her, her personal life. But did she write about two men chasing her through the woods? No. Given everything that you know, because you've you've been you've known her before she went missing. You've been there since the beginning. You've seen the tips. Have you come to any kind of decision on what you think is most likely happening here with Holly? There are a lot of theories. So the problem with all of our theories is that we have evidence to prove all of them, and we have evidence to disprove them all. So whether the theory is she had a, a mental break and she's, uh, she's out there hiding from friends and family and police, we have evidence to prove that and we have evidence to not prove it. Uh, did she get followed and picked up by somebody somewhere on Wentworth? Again, we have proof that that is a possibility and we have proof that it's not. I, I think at this point, all of the theories that any of your listeners or any of the, the social media people have out there, I guarantee you every thought that you've had, we've had, and we've discussed openly at, at this point, I don't, I, I will say it's a struggle every day. Some days I sit here and, and I think to myself, you know what, she's gone. Like, why are we doing this? Her body will show up sometime and that'll be that. And then I'll look at another piece of her journal or I'll talk to Dave and my brain will change its thought process and say, you know what? No, she's if she's out there, there's something wrong and we need to find her. So I hate to say it, but it really is. It's 50-50, depending on the day and depending on the information at the time. Now, what's what's going to come next? I understand the, the coronavirus and everything that comes with it has really turned everything on its head. But what what are you planning for the team to take on next? What is the next step in the search? So the biggest part of this with Corona, and, and again, I'm not, this is not my <laughs> search teams have not been what I do for, for a living. So uh, for me, it, it's a bit of a struggle. So the way that I see it is we need to continue to keep people invested. We need to keep her name out there. We need to keep her face out there. So the number one goal that we have is trying to find ways to keep the public involved. So whether it's, I posted a silly Where's Waldo thing where you can look through these Where's Waldo and try and find Holly's picture. And do I think it's going to help find her? No, but it's going to make you think twice when you see a six foot tall girl walking down the road. So we're trying to find interesting ways to keep everybody invested. Um, I really don't want her to become somebody that you think about once a year and go, hey, I wonder what happened. Until we find her, I need people invested. So that's number one. Number two, uh, Dave, Greta, and myself will be heading back to Hamilton as soon as we can. And we've got about three pages of, of things that we want to review and talk about and go through with people in Hamilton. So that'll be the next step. And then... Uh, Hopefully somewhere in between we find her so that I don't need to come up with an option C. You know what I mean? 
now when you when you talk about all the various you know the things that you and the in the search team is planning to do it sounds to me like as as someone on the outside looking in it sounds like these are the things that like police should be doing has the hamilton police like dave had described like them reacting to the tips but from your position how active do they seem to be in you know in actually pursuing information related to holly i'm just thinking that they would be the ones that would you would think they would be the ones to compel the roommates to share the information you want and chase all these leads and maybe talk me through your experience with that so i i think part of the problem lies with the emotions and the the need to have holly back as soon as possible so the the first week when somebody goes missing in this type of situation there are detectives assigned to the case they review the information that is in front of them and they communicate with the family well the Ellsworth Clarks are, they are very much a tight knit clan and they will go to the ends of the earth for one another. So you can imagine how many phone calls a day the Hamilton police was getting from Dave and Greta and Caleb and Kate and the grandmas and the aunts and the cousins and the friends. And, and I don't think all of the information was passed on in a, in a way that was constructive, concise or clear. Uh, so one of the things that we ended up doing was making a single point contact for Hamilton police. So any tips that came through went through that single point contact. Anything that came from them went through that point contact so that all of the information, A, that there was a relationship being built and B, that the information was not telephoned through two or three people before getting to people that, that needed it. So once that happened, once the relationship started to be built, once we, we have direct numbers to the detectives in charge, things changed. Uh, Hamilton police, they respond to every single tip that comes through to them. They respond to everything that comes to us. There was the footage from February the 3rd. Dave and I were having, having lunch at a, a cafe on the 4th when it came in. And we sent that immediately to Hamilton police. And within maybe 10 minutes, they had seven or eight patrol cars in the area on that street looking. And then the day after that, they initiated, I think there was about 30 to 40 police officers involved. And they did a massive search of that area to try and find Holly. They, they went so far as to actually break up ice in a pond in case she had fallen in and, and passed away. Uh, like they, they have been absolutely amazing. I, again, I think at the beginning, and especially with the budget in situation where where all Dave wanted to do was know if his daughter was in there, I, I think emotions got a little bit high, and, and that's more than fair. As a whole, if I were to look at it, I would say that the Hamilton police have done the best that they can within the regulation and legislation that they are required to follow. Would I have wanted to kick in the door at the budget in? Absolutely, every one of them. Would I have wanted to pull that fire alarm like Greta? In a heartbeat. Legally, the police don't have that as an option. They have to follow the rules as much as we we may not like them. So I, I think we do owe them a lot. We can call them at two o'clock in the morning and, and they will happily go out and, and pull footage or chase down a lead. And in return, we get messages from them saying, hey, there's been some bones found, I'll let you know. Or there's been a body found, we will let you know. So. So I think the relationship that has been built has been 
substantial. And for that, I, I think the team as a whole, including myself, are, are grateful that they have been that, that good to us. Tell me the story about the about the budget in. I I, <laughs> I saw some news reports that were that were filmed of Dave outside of that when it was all happening, but I, I wasn't following yeah. closely as that played out. Like, what is the what is the story with the budget in? Oh my gosh! So Holly Holly lives on on Sanford, so Sanford and Barton kind of area, and she would walk to the woods. There's a set of stairs there called uh, the Wentworth Stairs, and she would walk. She would ride her bike. And to get to those stairs, she would actually pass this budget in. The budget in is known for for shady things. If you're prostituting or looking for drugs or or looking for anything that's this side of illegal or super illegal, that's where you're going to to go looking for it. And as we were running searches, people would say to us, "Did you check the budget in? Have you checked the budget in? Have you been down to the budget in?" It was a common theme and, and us being from Calgary, we we're like, what are you guys talking about? Like, it, it's just a hotel. It's not. Um, the night that all of that went down at the Budget Inn, what had happened was within 45 minutes, we received three separate tips from three separate people that Holly had been dragged and drugged up the stairs to the second floor by a man. She was in a room on the second floor. So one tip like that, we're definitely going to send a team there. We're going to involve Hamilton PD. We're going to, to move as much as we can. But three? Oh my gosh, that just, that's in everybody running. So Dave and Greta were already there when these three tips came in and they were reviewing footage. And what had happened was the manager at the time Greta was getting just to a point in the footage where it was near near a time when kind of everybody started to, to come back to the hotel. And the manager had said to her, we need you to leave the room. We've got to do a bit of work here if you can leave the room for about 20 minutes. So Greta and a couple other people with her left the room. And when they came back and they looked at the footage, it looked like about an hour of footage had been erased from the, the, the information they were looking at which of course caused a panic, right? You, you're looking at footage and now you're missing an hour and it's just gone. Like that's, that's beyond frustrating. So that, that sparked everything. That sparked police involvement, that sparked the entire team to continue to be vigilant. And what actually ended up happening was that at about two o'clock in the morning, I believe, uh, Dave threatened to, to go in and kick down doors. I mean, all, all they wanted to know was was whether their daughter was in that building, and three people said she was. Meanwhile, we've got madams that are actually outside trying to tell them that, no, she's never been here, or yes, she was here, and changing their mind, and drug deal deals going down while, while women are being taken into this building. Everything that you think you've seen in a movie with a, a shady motel is what was happening. So... Instead of kicking down doors, Greta, Greta went and pulled the fire alarm. Was it illegal? Yeah. <laughs> Was she angry and upset? Oh yeah. So she pulls the fire alarm and the guy that runs the place actually has a switch. And that switch turned the alarm off so that police and fire were not called. Wow. Yeah, so she pulled it again. <laughs> <laughs> Do not cross Greta, she pulled it again. 
uh, and she ended up getting arrested and taken out of the hotel. Wow. Um, and I mean, again, I, I feel for the police because as much as we don't like it by legislation, each of those rooms is a private dwelling for the amount of time that somebody has rented it. So yeah, they do need 48 different um, search warrants to check them. Does it suck? Is it crap? Yeah, it's absolute crap. And especially in the heat of the moment where you're risking a criminal record. Yeah, it's absolute crap. But this is the, the extent that we were at. We were able to eventually search the hotel. Um, unfortunately, Holly was not there. And we do continue to get tips about the budget in that Holly's there or that she's on the grounds or that she's tucked away in a room somewhere. Uh, but we don't have any indication that she she was actually there that night. We do know that there was another girl there who had a similar description to Holly. Do we think it was her? Do we think it was Holly? We really don't know. And I don't know that we ever wow. will. That's I, that's a story. Yeah. But that but it also gives a like a, a glance at the frustration that people will experience when they face these roadblocks when you're on a desperate search for a missing loved one. So I, I think I would, I'm sure my mom would do the exact same thing if she thought I was in there. Pull that fire alarm. I mean, we have, I could tell you story after story. We had somebody tell us that he was at the bar with some friends and his friend said, uh, uh, oh, Holly? No, she's rotting in the back of a U-Haul. And then this this guy actually came forward and, and gave us this as information. Well, could you imagine sitting at the kitchen table as this tip rolls in where some guy is telling you that your daughter is rotting in the back of a U-Haul? I, I, we, again, we were lucky. The Hamilton police were great. We managed to get a hold of the girl in charge of U-Haul for Ontario who demanded that all, all U-Hauls, all trailers, all trucks, everything that was on site at any location in Ontario get checked. They were amazing. And they were checked. She she was not, again, I quote, rotting in the back of U-Haul. But I can tell you those three days until we got confirmation was absolute, absolute hell. Like who says stuff like that, you know? Well, I guess a, a story like this in a situation like this seems to bring out the worst and the best in a lot of people. Um, yeah. People like you are, are giving so much to support the family and support the efforts of those searching for her you get ransom demands mm -hmm. you know it's it's like polar opposites so it's there's there's a lot going on here there is and and trying to maintain everybody and everything and making sure that everybody's okay that in itself is is a tough job never mind having to 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 deal with those emotions on your own right i i mean sitting here in calgary we had to to involve Hamilton police and Calgary police because we're in Calgary for that, that last extortion or ransom demand. And I, I mean, the, the detective here in Calgary, great guy, he was here for about four hours as I negotiated with this moron uh, for, for Holly's return. And, and at the end of the night, I still have to put my head down and, and try and sleep after having some guy tell me that he's going to go slit her throat if I don't, don't give in. Um, I, I think that for me, looking at situations like this from the outside prior to being in it, I had no idea how much work and how much of a toll it can actually take on people. So 
I mean, the, the family of even uh, like Emma Filipoff, for example, it's been years. I mean, we're only three, almost four months into this and it's been years for them. I just, I think as a whole, as, as the public and as a member of the public, we need to be cognizant that the people that we're talking about and the people that we're dealing with are real people. It's, it's not a movie. You're talking to the parents or the family or the friends of somebody that's missing. And, and I think with internet and, and the anonymity that you can hide behind, I think that people really need to, to keep themselves in check a little bit here and there because it's, this is not, this is not a video game. This is reality. I want to thank you for joining Elle and I in our discussion surrounding the disappearance and subsequent search for Holly Clark. Aside from learning a lot about the inner workings of a volunteer search team, what I learned most of all from my discussion with Elle is that families like Holly's desperately need good people to support them when they're faced with the kind of nightmare that the Ellsworth Clarks are dealing with. Elle, I hope you know how special you are and how important your work is. To sacrifice so much for an employee slash friend of yours says so much about your character. On behalf of myself and all of Nighttime's listeners, Elle, I salute you. And with that, we'll end this episode of Nighttime. When the show returns, we will again dig a bit deeper into the story of Holly's disappearance, but in a slightly different way. In our next episode, Nighttime will again be joined by freelance journalist Tyler Hooper. People who've listened to my series about the disappearance of Emma Filipov will recall Tyler joining me for the conclusion. In the next episode of this series, Tyler and I will discuss Holly's story, but as well, we'll discuss the striking similarities it shares with the story of Emma Filipov. Now, before we part, I'm going to end with some thanks. First, a huge thank you to Elle for joining us and sharing her fascinating work. A big thanks to the Canadian band Paragon Cause for providing the musical score for this episode. And lastly, but most importantly, a huge thank you to listeners of Nighttime. Without you, this show would have seen the light of day many moons ago. And with that said, if you want more Nighttime, let me suggest the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can access a separate feed in which the episodes are posted earlier than in the free feed and are done so without paid advertising. But beyond the regular episodes, the premium feed also includes the Nightcap After Show in which I and a guest climb a bit further down the rabbit hole. You can access the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, I want to thank the newest subscriber to the feed, Nate Rodriguez, thank you for your support. For anyone else out there who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you're using. If you want to stay up to date with my activities on or off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. If you have any story ideas or want to give feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at nighttimepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and keep your eyes open for Holly Clark. 
The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte. Just like I did in part one of this series, I'm going to sign off with a piece of Holly's incredible music. This is called Knockout. Thank you.
Yeah, yeah. You got all